Hello, everybody. Welcome into the Sports Plus Podcast. I'm Corey Miller, here with Andy Moeller, Hannah Yates, and Ahmad Hicks. Got quite a bit to talk about, a bunch of different topics, lots of sports going on right now. Let's start with the biggest item on the agenda, the Super Bowl is set. Tom Brady and the Bucks against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Andy, we got to see the legend of Tom Brady start against our Rams when they were still our Rams. And now almost 20 years later, he's still doing it. You really just can't bet against him, can you? No, you really can't. And and what's what's funny is the, you know, the whole argument of the, you know, you have the Belichick fans who say, oh, Brady will be nothing without Belichick. And now you've got the, and you've got the, you know, the Brady fans who are, you know, kind of saying, see, you know, uh, Belichick couldn't have done it without Brady. Uh, it is it is pretty amazing how, uh, you know, not only has he come into Tampa this year and, uh, and gotten them to the Super Bowl, but even in particular, just when they were, what, six and five or, you know, or whatever. And the, the talk was that he could, he and Arians couldn't, uh, Bruce Arians couldn't find, uh, you know, uh, any common ground as far as the offense was concerned. And now all of a sudden uh, they are clicking and, uh, uh, and, you know, they, they made a lot of believers yesterday, I think. First home team, or, well, they won't even be the home. They're not going to be the home team in their own, technically in their own stadium, I guess, since they have the worst record and played three road playoff games and now get to go home for the Super Bowl. They're playing the Chiefs, trying to go back-to-back. That offense looks unstoppable. Ahmad, uh, you know, we don't have the uh, we don't have the span of knowledge that Andy has quite watching NFL for as long. But is this Mahomes and Chiefs offense maybe some of the best you've ever seen? I mean, I would have to say so. Even though I'm a Rams fan and I saw the greatest show on turf, uh, you have to think back. I mean, they had an explosive player. Um, and every facet on that offense. But I think when you look at Pat Mahomes and what he can do from the quarterback position, no shade to Kurt Warner, but I don't I don't think he compares to P. Mahomes. I mean, he's only in, what, his third or fourth year. And look what he's done, a league MVP, two Super Bowl appearances, you know. Um, and not to discredit anything from the Rams back in the day, but you have an offense, I think, that can compete. Uh, I know I saw Frank Cusimano say something on Twitter about the Rams have five potential Hall of Famers. Well, when you look at the Chiefs offense now, you look at a Patrick Mahomes and a Travis Kelsey as a sure lock. I think you get a Tyreek Hill that can sneak in there. And then they still have two stellar offensive linemen and Eric Fisher, who is their number one overall pick, and uh, Mitchell Schwartz, who's not playing this year. So I think this offense can, you know, go down in history with some of the best. That's for sure. Wow. You're already just coming out and flaming the greatest show on turf here. Oh, my he, God. He's already, he's, already, he's already commissioned the busts. Well, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that, but if you think about the greatest show on turf, and I know the game has changed tremendously from back in the day, but the greatest show on turf went to two Super Bowls, and they scored respectively 23 and 17 points. The Chiefs put up 31 points in their one Super Bowl last year with P. Mahomes. So, I think when you're looking at greatest offenses, we look at who shines the best, you know, who does the best when the lights shine the brightest. And um, Patrick Mahomes and them did pretty good last year. You know, the one the one thing I, I'm, I'm thinking about here is that, uh, you know, with, with the Rams, they had sort of a short window. The Chiefs may actually have a, a very short window. And that's not to say that all those guys couldn't be, uh, you know, couldn't be Hall of Fame players, but they may do, be doing it somewhere else. I mean, you're committed to Patrick Mahomes for half a billion dollars over the next 10 years or whatever, what's the salary cap going to look like? Are you going to be able to keep a Tyreek Hill? Are you going to be able to keep those offensive linemen? 
Brett exactly. really got his work cut out for him to try to try to be a capologist and figure out how to keep all those pieces together. Well, and if you get guys, they win this year. They've already got two Super Bowls. Do they really <laughs> want to stick around and keep winning? Or they've already done that. Maybe they want to get paid somewhere. And so not to mention you have a hometown discount. Yeah, you have two St. Louis guys on the Chiefs roster as well. So you definitely want to, you know, have a little hometown favoritism towards them. I don't know. I'm kind of sick of Chiefs fans already. Anna, what are you thinking? <laughs> what are you thinking Super Bowl wise? What's uh, what's your prediction there? Honestly, I was kind of joining the Chiefs bandwagon during the season, and then like that annoying Kansas City fan, like it just that resurfaced that fan base. You've seen it with the Royals in the past, and so now I just feel like I, I'm just leaning more towards the Bucks in terms of favoritism but I think that you know Mahomes it's, it's just hard to top but you saw the Bucks qualified for this game by defeating the league's highest scoring team and on its own home field and I feel like that said a lot about their capability but like Ahmad mentioned the depth of that Chiefs team I mean in my opinion it's just stronger and granted in terms of yards allowed they're kind of middle of the pack in terms of defense but I still think their offense can overcome that and I think that it's just yeah, it's going to be a battle of QBs here, but I really do think Chiefs have the, the better depth. First and of all, I don't know what you're talking about, bandwagon Chiefs fans. Um, <laughs> but but here's a question for you. You know, uh, yeah, the granted, the Chiefs scored, what, 38, 38 points yesterday, but they don't win that game without, the, you know, Steve Spagnuolo, who is a terrible head coach here in St. Louis, um, is a pretty darn good coach. Uh, coordinator as far as dialing up a game plan and he really had a great game plan yesterday to uh, to neutralize josh allen yeah, let's talk some blues true. now uh coming off another split this time against the kings here at home getting ready for a tough road trip hannah it's just when i watch these games it doesn't really seem like everybody's clicking and they're fully realized that opener against colorado was fun they've had a couple moments but it still just seems like they're trying to fit together and there's kind of a, a disconnect. What are you seeing so far? I've seen that exact thing. And I think Blues head coach Craig Bruby kind of put it best. And I was honestly surprised by some of, and I'm not because he is usually pretty blunt about his answers, but he said they're playing uninspired hockey. And he said, it's the attitude of this team. And one of the reporters asked, you know, what about their attitude is the problem? Why don't you think they have this attitude and this, this wanting and craving to win? He said, I don't know. You should ask them. He's like, I don't have the answer to this. And I think it just, it just goes to show that there really is a disconnect. And for the head coach to be able to see that, I mean, he just called them out on it. And, and it's really hard to see them win the first game of all of these series and then not be able to go out and have the motivation to win the second games, it's sloppy play, it's loose pucks. I mean, you're not even seeing them skate back quick to get to the net and try to play defense. Just very odd. And we're six yeah. games into the regular season. Right. Yeah. And, it, and it's only, and we say it's only six games. It's a shortened season. There's like kind of an emphasis there just because the season is shortened and it is confusing to where there's such a flip-flop between both games in each of the series so far. Well, they're like an eighth of the way through now. Is that right, Andy? You're the math guru. How long? Uh, uh, a little less than a little less than ten percent in, or a little more than ten percent in. Yeah. We talked a lot about at the beginning of the year how Bennington had to be great this season for them to win. I mean, honestly, I've I've been overall. I mean, he's had a couple bad ones, but overall, I've been decently impressed. But 
now you see Husto last night. You don't have Jake Allen there. Andy, how disconcerting is that? Um, you know, I guess it's safe to say that with, with, with only him making his first start last night, it really was not a game that you can put on Billy Huso's shoulders. I mean, the, the special teams last night, again, were just atrocious. And, you know, and, you know, having a guy break out of the penalty box and coming in, you know, uh, mano a mano on the goaltender, uh, you know, he made a whale of a save, the, you know, the first time, but obviously couldn't cover up the rebound. So I don't know if I'm ready to, you know, to throw the panic button because of the backup goaltender yet. Um, you know, I, I goaltender really can only be as good as the guys around him. I mean, there's only so much you can, so much you can do. Uh, so I, I'm kind of at a loss here. I expected a lot better at this point and gosh, I would hope the players, uh, you know, uh, would find themselves accountable and realize that, yeah, we were expecting a lot better too. How can I fix the problem instead of what do I you think this to fix the problem? Either way, I just want to watch a hockey game where the Blues aren't sitting in the penalty box for half the game. I'm on, go ahead. I think it's just going to take just for that punch in the gut to occur where they just really have to reflect and look back on themselves. Right now, I think they're still riding that high of a Stanley Cup two years ago where, you know, they were a really good hockey team last year, if not one of the best, then got to the bubble and kind of choked. And I think they they – think to themselves that hey we're still this good hockey team we have all these pieces and we know how to turn it on we have all this experience we did this and it's like okay yeah we get it that was two years ago it's like now you have to regroup you have to lock in and find that focus that they had two years ago as a team and I think they're still trying to figure that out right now obviously short training camp you know got to give them the benefit of the doubt so I think they just have to go through a tough stretch hopefully not too tough of a stretch because I mean they're in a really good division but you know, I think they'll bounce back, but they also maybe need to be humbled a little bit this year, I think. Ryan you know, not only are they letting down their not only are they letting down their coach, they're letting down the the Ryan O'Reilly captaincy era. And you you've got one of the great leaders in in team sports, uh, you would think, who is your captain now. And you know, what's the what's the line I always I love from Remember the Titans? Attitude reflect leadership, sir. Absolutely. You saw how you saw how frustrated Ryan O'Reilly was. I mean, two games ago, he's breaking his stick on the wall when he gets off on the bench. I mean, there's so much frustration going on and you're just wondering what's not clicking because you have solid leadership at the helm for that team. And you're wondering why it's not trickling down right now consistently. The way we're talking, the Blues sounds like they haven't won a game yet, but there's their raw talent gets them has gotten them a few wins so far. So they haven't put themselves too far behind, but we have all seen it. It's uh, it's kind of a mess at times out there. We'll see if they can get it going on this long road trip. Let's talk some local college hoops now. First off, of course, Mizzou, huge win over number six, Tennessee. Second time this year they've beaten a team ranked number six. Uh, kind of got the Tigers back into the national discussion. They're up to 12 in the AP poll. Um, they're ranked ahead of Kansas for the first time in nine years, which is just delicious. Um, how big, Ahmad, you were anchoring, I think, uh, the night of this game. How big is that win for Mizzou over Tennessee? I think it's huge. It gives them confidence, especially after they got spanked by 20 the first time they played the Volunteers. So I think that just gives them that 
that focus, well, not focus, but that confidence that, hey, we can play with anybody in the country on any given night if we play our A game. And I think that's what we saw. You know, if they can hit jump shots, if they can rebound, if they can stay out of foul trouble, this is a very dangerous basketball team. And especially when you look at the Blue Bloods around there, the Dukes, the Kentuckys, the North Carolinas, they don't look as good this year. I think this is a window where, you know, a lot of teams can cash in on the pandemic and, you know, really strike gold because of everything that's happened, the lack of practice time. So I think this is a year for Mizzou if they can play defense and hit shots. What team shows up every night, that's anyone's guess. But if that team that played this past Saturday shows up every game, I think they'll be a really good team. I, uh, I, it's against my better instinct having watched Mizzou sports for a while, but I'm all the way in on, on this year's team. I mean, if Jeremiah Tillman is going to play like this, like the guy everybody hoped they were going to get, they got that, po- they got that presence down low. And if you can get Mark Smith and Drew Smith actually making some shots every once in Xavier Pinson, if you get two of those three guys on a given night and Tillman doing his thing, you're going to be in pretty good shape. Hannah, what's your projection? How, uh, I think this team could win in March. How, how do you think, uh, they, how high can they go? I know, Corey, your, your hopes are always so high with this team, and I try to stay level-headed and not get my hopes up heading into this point in the season. But I think it's what Ahmad said. It's like consistency is so key with this team. If they can be consistent, you see Xavier Pinson kind of had that two-game slump, and then out of nowhere turns to the court afterwards and has a, his season-high 27-point game. And then you talk about a Jeremiah Tillman. It's like if you can consistently get these guys to show up that way to the court every night, I think you have a fantastic team. It's just hoping they can really do that. There's some games they go out after that high point and just kind of drop and slump in certain ways like we've seen um, for the previous games leading, leading up to it. But I think there's a solid chance. I have some confidence in this team if they can play that way. Vincent is one of the most frustrating players I can ever remember seeing him. He reminds me of Phil Pressey, who was a great player, but did just like a lot of dumb stuff, throwing up shots, and sometimes he looked terrible, and sometimes he looked amazing. And Pinson has a ridiculous amount of talent. We saw it against Tennessee. I mean, if that could show up just every once in a while, this could be a special team. Uh, we also get Slu back on the court on Tuesday after more than a month off from COVID. Andy, what do you think? Uh, is this going to be the same team we left off as or what are even some reasonable expectations for the Billikens? You know, Mike Claiborne made a really good observation last night in that he thinks that the the guys at the end of the bench who are used to just being at the end of the bench, he thinks are going to get, you know, extended minutes as everybody else tries to get back into, into some sort of playing shape. So, I think it's a grab bag right now as to, you know, as to what you can expect. I mean, I certainly expect that the, that the veteran leadership on the team is going to get, are going to get the crucial minutes, but uh, you know, I think that the guys in, you know, the last third or, you know, the last few seats on the bench are going to be seeing, you know, close to double digit minutes to, you know, to give those, uh, those seniors and the upperclassmen to give them a little bit of a break while they, you know, try to get back into extended playing shape. And even Coach Ford was talking about, 
yeah, Coach Ford was talking about Philip Russell. He's a guy, he's a freshman uh, who's, like you said, Andy, on the end of the bench. And he talked about how good he's been at practice during the restart and how he wouldn't hesitate to put him in the game tomorrow, you know, to spell Yuri Collins. So I think that goes to show the depth. And like you said, they've been out of basketball for three weeks to a month. I mean, playing in practice is one thing, but, you know, playing against a high caliber Dayton team or other teams in the A-10, I think, you're, you know, the conditioning level is going to be put to the test a lot. So it's going to be strength in numbers for them this year, obviously, to get to where they want to go, especially having that, you know, three-week delay that they had. And how good will it be for, how good will it be for, you know, for Travis Ford to, you know, sort of be forced to have to give these guys extended minutes, but that, you know, certainly bodes well for, you know, for the jump that a Philip Russell could have starting next year or the year after when they're going to need to really be able to count on him. Yeah, and I I hate to look at it. Go ahead, Corey. Sorry. Go, go ahead, ahead. Amon. Go ahead, Amon. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I wanted to uh, bounce off what Andy just said. I think it's crucial that Coach Ford gets a lot of these young guys time because, I mean, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you only have a couple months left of Jordan Goodwin and a couple months left of Hassan French. You know, so when those two leave, you're you're literally missing 20 rebounds and 20 points every given night, you know. So it, you have to get these young guys in, the Jimmy Bells and, you know, all the other guys that will provide depth for later, uh, for years to come, you know, because this is an important year in SLU basketball history, but it's also important for building a foundation of what's to come in the next couple of years that's well said Am I this is this is the year that Travis has been building for since he got here and one thing that's been encouraging to see their national uh appeal hasn't dipped even though they haven't played in a month they got ranked for the first time when they were paused and they've stayed ranked they're still 25th in this latest poll so people around the country are still pretty high on SLU even though we haven't seen them and if it was a team of uh, lesser kind of standing, I guess, and respect, and they missed this amount of games, who knows if they'd be able to, if there's not a conference tournament, if they'd be able to build their stature back up there come tournament time. But uh, the rest of the country knows Slew is still good, so they'll be there in March where uh, we think, I think we all think they can make a pretty deep run. So this week for our Sports Plus Spotlight interview, our Hannah Yates, catches up with the one and only Layla Anderson. The Blue Superfan is doing well, back to being a typical 12-year-old, and is even starting her own journey on the ice. Here's our story from Hannah. Four years ago, no one could have predicted that 12-year-old St. Louis Blues Superfan Layla Anderson would be doing this in 2021. I go to school. I'm celebrating Christmas with my family. I, I have a dog. Um, like, I'm your average 12-year-old. I just happen to go get blood work once every three months. Layla was diagnosed with a rare and sometimes fatal autoimmune disease called HLH in 2018 after months of testing. She was isolated for more than four months during intense treatment until she received this news in 2019. And guess where you get to go first? Where? Take a guess. Is it a blues game? Layla continued battling for her life while her favorite hockey team continued fighting for its first ever Stanley Cup title. In May of 2019, Layla was in need of a bone marrow transplant miracle, and she got it. One month before the Blues got a fairy tale ending of their own. In 
It's a story of hope that will live on forever. But deep down, Layla craved the chance to lace up some skates of her own. I would, at like, what would I say, like five years old, and I'd watch my dad play hockey. And I knew, I'm like, dang, hockey's in my blood. But lifting Lord Stanley's cup with her beloved blues was the closest she would get to playing hockey until she received the news in 2020 that she had been hoping to hear for four years. It was right around the All-Star game is when the Blues and Centene announced the Girls Learn to Play program. And we're just sitting, like I'm getting ready for school, and my dad's like, Layla, I just got an email from Centene. There's a Girls Learn to Play in December. Do you want to do it? And I interrupted him as fast as I could. I said, yes, sign me up. Please. And the doctors gave us the okay of doing physical activities. You know, her body has changed, you know, from the medicines and the chemos and things like that. And they gave her the okay to, to do it. Layla joined 80 other girls in signing up for the first ever St. Louis Blues Learn to Play program right here at Centene Community Ice Rink. She's playing a sport for the first time since her diagnosis, but more than anything, she gets the chance to be a kid again. Like if you look at it for a milestone, it's it's a big one and it just goes to show I'm healthy, I'm happy and I'm doing what I love. I think, well, I, I cried when, <clears throat> when Colton lifted the cup with her and then I cried when she said she wanted to play hockey. It's the strength she gained from battling for her life that now motivates her to compete on the ice fulfilling a dream to be one of the girls participating in the expansion of youth hockey in St. Louis. I think I've gone through a lot that I may not have to go through again in later in my life experience, whether it be getting another brain biopsy or as simple as having three IVs at one point. It really goes to show that hockey can be hard, but it's something I want to do. Like, if you want to do something, you have to push. And I feel like if you don't have to push for it, then you don't really want it. She begins a new journey on the ice with an endless passion for the team that's inspired her from the beginning. I think when I go to Blues games, I'm still going to be that spunky, quirky Layla. <laughs> but I will have another perspective. I will know how it is to be on the ice. And I think that'll make me cheer 10 times louder if that is ever possible. <laughs> Anna Yates, five on your side. And that will do it for this week's Sports Plus podcast. Be sure to catch our show Sunday nights at 10.30, following five on your side at 10. And download, subscribe, as well as rate and review our podcast wherever you get your podcast. Have a great week, everybody.